Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for you as usual. And we start with good news even before the good news. So, uh... It's hard to start a day better than that. Tweet late this morning from the Buffalo Bills, quote, per the physicians caring for DeMar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal and he is making steady progress. We are grateful for the love and support we have received. So, Jim, obviously in a situation like this, long, long, long way to go just to be able to function in normal life, much less get back to an elite level of athleticism. But uh, considering where we were Monday night, great news. Absolutely. You know, thank God and may that recovery continue. Um, you know, you don't want to overstate it, but everything it sound, that they're reporting sounds like a really good signs to see at this point of his recovery. Kudos to everyone on the field and everybody at the at the hospital who have done uh, such a great work. And uh, it's great to see the nation really uh, rallying around uh, DeMar Hamlin, uh, people kind of rediscovering their prayer life, in fact. Uh, a lot of people going to their knees in, in, in prayer for DeMar Hamlin. Fantastic progress, and hopefully we see more and more and more of it. On a slightly less significant NFL note, but important to Bears fans, happy 100th birthday to Virginia McCaskey, the Bears owner, the daughter of George Hallis, the founder of not only the Bears, but the NFL. Um, been some lean years lately, but uh, still a great lady and hopefully more years for her as well. But let's get to our first good martini. Actually, our only good martini, but our third piece of good news. Uh, Jim, it's uh, early 2023. We still don't have a functioning House of Representatives yet. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Uh, but we're already seeing people thinking about 2024. And I'm not just talking about presidential candidates and potential presidential candidates. There are also members of Congress who are considering whether or not they're going to be on the ballot again. And we already have one in the U.S. Senate who has said, nope, I've had enough and I'm not running for re-election. That is Michigan Democrat Debbie Stabenow. She says, inspired by a new generation of leaders, I have decided to pass the torch in the U.S. Senate. I am announcing today that I will not seek re-election and will leave the U.S. Senate at the end of my term on January 3rd, 2025. So, Jim, for those of us from Michigan... This is a long time coming. We were hoping Debbie Stabenow would pretty much go away when she lost the Democratic nomination for governor way back in 1994. Didn't even get to the general election to run against John Engler. Nonetheless, she ran for U.S. Senate against the last Michigan Republican senator, Spencer Abraham, in 2000. Narrowly won. Has not been seriously challenged since. So there'll be an open seat in Michigan in 2024 at the same time there's a presidential race. I'd like to think there will be a competitive race, but we did not get much in the terms of competitive races in Michigan in 2022. Already seeing some rumblings that Alyssa Slotkin might be the Democratic candidate um, if she can survive a Democratic primary. But uh, for a woman who was 6% in the ACU ratings and a whopping 2% in the Heritage Action ratings, uh, seeing a lockstep liberal like Debbie Stabenow heading for the exits is not a bad thing. That's a good thing for conservatives. Greg, on this podcast, you will almost never hear us say anything nice about Debbie Stabenow. And I'm going to offer probably the most, uh, you know, faint praise possible. I'm glad she's leaving. Uh, and that actually does mean something in the sense that considering the dynamics of the state and the advantages of incumbency, 
Uh, Greg, I think you'd agree with me. Debbie Stabenow had that Senate seat until she wanted to retire yeah. based on past history. She was generally, if not a lock, close to a lock for reelection every six years. You know, she's uh, she's you know, so it is a good side that she's stepping aside and saying, hey, you know what? It's time for somebody else to have a chance to represent this state. You mentioned a few of the candidates. I think one of the more intriguing and maybe, you know, crazier rumors is the idea of whether Governor Gretchen Whitmer is interested in serving in the Senate as opposed to being governor. And people notice that Pete Buttigieg changed his voter registration to Michigan. So you kind of wonder, does he want to be senator or governor or does he really just enjoy flying on private jets? being the secretary of transportation now the part that i think again really early you know a lot of road ahead a lot of things can happen but an open senate seat in michigan is one that the republicans should have a shot at not a great shot not an easy one um this is probably a blue state but it is one that trump narrowly won it's one that has had a couple of republican governors in recent years and you look back to just 2020, and John James came within about 1.7% of beating Gary Peters in the battle of men with first names as all of their names. <laughs> um, I've always figured that Gary Peters was an alias for some other name. Uh, you know, that was about 120, I mean, actually, I'm sorry, 90,000 votes, you know, separating the two of them out of like, you know, a little more than 5 million cast. So John James, who's currently a congressman, has, you know, not a, not a weak candidate. Um, presidential election year is probably going to be tough. We don't know who the, you know, in all likelihood, uh, the Repo Democratic nominee is going to be Joe Biden. He won the state last time. He would be favored to win the state again. But I don't think you can say, uh, this isn't California. This isn't some sort of state that's unbelievably out of range. Um, have to see who the Republican nominee is and things like that. So, you know, I, I'm not going to exaggerate and say, oh, this is a great pickup opportunity for Republicans. It's going to require... Uh, the right nominee, ideally not a big, messy, hard-fought primary that leaves you know Michigan Republicans uh, d deeply divided. Uh, it's not a cheap state, and it's not an easy state, but it is a state where Republicans can win in that upper Midwest area. And oh, by the way, it also matters a great deal for the presidential race, so you'll probably see Republicans putting a lot of effort into winning that state. So we'll see how things go, but it's kind of a, this was not a guarantee of this cycle, so very early on, one more potential opportunity has fallen in the laps of Republicans. Yes. And uh, the hard part is I can't really think of who would be the leading Republican candidate. I'm sure people will suggest Tudor Dixon or maybe somebody else who didn't become the gubernatorial nominee. I don't think John James will want another Senate race. That would be a lot, a third one in a span of uh, six years. Um, I would uh, be surprised also if Whitmer um, decided to run for Senate. I think she's going to enjoy this second term and probably try to run for president in 2028, regardless of how things go in uh, 2024. Uh, what you may see, though, is the lieutenant governor, uh, Garland Gilchrist, or the AG, Dana Nessel, uh, who would most likely be at each other's throats in 2026 uh, to replace Gretchen Whitmer, since there's a two-term limit. One of them might go for Senate, and uh, and the other one would then go for governor. I don't know if that's likely to happen. Uh, it's interesting, the Alyssa Slotkin speculation. Uh, I think she would probably be a pretty strong statewide candidate. The question is whether the liberal base would actually nominate her uh, as opposed to somebody else. But uh, hadn't thought about the Pete Buttigieg thing. He is officially, technically, a resident of Michigan. The question also, like Whitmer, is whether he's got his eyes more on his current boss's office instead of instead of uh, running statewide. Because even though he's a technically a resident there, that would be a little bit of uh, carpetbagging, don't you think? Just so quickly after 
filling out a little oh, bit of paperwork? I, you know, I, look, you know, as we've discussed with Governor Youngkin, you get elected to a job. You should do that job for a while. Yeah, we were not fans of President uh, Obama announcing he's running for president after being in the Senate for roughly 20 minutes. Okay, <laughs> I exaggerate slightly. You know, two years, but throughout that entire two years, he was constantly being asked if he was going to run for president. I think if you're elected to a job, you should focus on doing a good job in that job. And then later we can talk about, uh, you know, whether you're a good choice for higher office. So, yes, I would definitely go. John James hasn't even a chance to be a a House member yet. Let him do that. (laughs) And uh, hopefully good things will come out of that. And maybe you do a good job in one uh, job. There's always a good chance that you'll end up, uh, you know, if you do a good job, people will be more inclined to have you in that higher job. Yeah, exactly. He's still a young man. He can uh, distinguish himself in the House assuming they ever get sworn in, as we'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, And if you're still waiting for the uh, House to actually get into session, you may have tapped into the alcohol. As Congresswoman Kamek said yesterday from Florida, she thought the Democrats were tapping into it. The Democrats deny that, but uh, you can't blame them if you're sitting there all day and just standing up every once every few hours and yelling out the name of the person you want to be the Speaker of the House. But if you do that for two, three days and really weeks and months and years, it takes a toll on your liver. And the liver is your body's master detoxifier, performing more than 500 key functions in your body every day. So don't do damage to it. Take care of it. And the good news is now you can. Solution is called Liver Health Formula, which contains 12 powerful botanicals that are clinically proven to recharge and protect your liver at the cellular level. It restores your liver's detoxifying abilities, it boosts your energy levels, and it can kick your natural metabolism into a higher gear. And keep in mind, this is manufactured right here in America. And if you act now, you don't get a free gift. You get five of them. First, you get free 30-day supply of nano-powered omega-3. And then you also get four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health and longevity. So go to getliverhelp.com slash martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 to claim your risk-free supply of liver health formula and all five bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com slash martini or call 800-282-1757. 1757. You're covered by their 365-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to risk. But supplies are limited. So head over to getliverhelp.com slash martini or call toll-free 800-282-1757 now to order liver health formula and claim your five free bonus gifts while you still can. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this is becoming a pattern this week. And uh, who knows how long this will persist. But uh, just like... Uh, The day before, yesterday was another round of votes in the House of Representatives on uh, who should become Speaker. And yet again, after three more rounds, we still don't have one. In fact, the numbers really did not budge at all. One person started to vote present, along with the 20 who were voting against Kevin McCarthy on the Republican side. The Democrats are all still behind Hakeem Jeffries, but they don't have a majority, so that doesn't really matter. Uh, Byron Donalds is currently the um, challenge candidate. He had originally supported McCarthy and then... Once Andy Beggs and Jim Jordan didn't want to do it anymore, he became uh, the candidate. But as you mentioned in the morning jolt today, Jim, and I think it was your colleague Dominic Pino who uh, spelled this out in a little more detail in a separate piece, it's not 20 Republicans in lockstep who are opposed to Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. It really boils down to two factions, and I'm not sure numbers-wise how it breaks down, which could be significant given you really only need five to derail Kevin McCarthy. You have the more principled people like Chip Roy of Texas who want regular order. They don't want huge omnibus bills that 
two or three members out of 435 people get to work on, and then everybody else has 48 hours to figure out voting up or down or potentially shutting down the government. Uh, and they want uh, committees to do the appropriations work one bill at a time instead of lumping it all together. They want open amendments and all that sort of thing. And then you've got other folks, and specifically Matt Gates has mentioned, and he kind of you know played to the character yesterday saying, under no circumstances, no way, no how, no time will I ever vote for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and so I'm not sure what he wants other than somebody else. So uh, as we continue through this saga, how do you break down the opposition here, and uh, where does this go from here? Well, as of this morning, the the you know I don't want to say the rumor mill, but like the thinking was the the reports were that if you can get Chip Roy on board, if you make an, if McCarthy made enough concessions, that Chip Roy could probably be, you know bring nine or ten with him, which would get you know McCarthy significantly closer to it, but not necessarily to 218. And in fact, one of the real problems facing McCarthy is that, you know, of the 222 Republicans uh, in the House, roughly five of them are seen as diehard um, anti-McCarthyites. And Gates is one of them. Bollard is one of them. Um, Those are the folks who really, you know, they say never, never Kevin, and they mean it. Um, and so you're, you know, you look at that and you're like, well, that really is the case that maybe it's not possible for Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House. And I would note that the events of yesterday, I think, strongly undermined the case for Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House because holding the same vote over and over again and getting the exact same result over and over again, I'm sure by now, every, a whole bunch of listeners have already thought about that, you know, definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That kind of has been the approach so far. It's been this really, I'm going to say a maddening stalemate or like a game of chicken in which it really feels like McCarthy's approach, his strategy is I'm just going to keep holding these votes until you guys get tired and decide to give in. And the attitude of the anti-Kevin 20 or so is, well, we're going to keep voting no and we're going to keep not voting for other people until you get tired and you decide to quit. And both of them are just, you know, slamming into each other over and over again with absolutely nothing changing. You're not seeing a lot of, you know, maybe this overnight we've seen a little bit more uh, horse trading or, you know, uh, uh, negotiation, a little bit of creativity of, all right, you've made your point. I see how adamantly opposed you are. What other things can happen to make you come, you know, uh, at peace with the idea of McCarthy being the speaker. I, I would note, though, that a lot of these concessions are going to make the job of the speaker even more difficult. And we all know that we've seen, you know, it's been very hard to make, um, to you know, to run the House when you only have a majority of 222 members. And, you know, if a one person can cause a, you know, call for a replacement speaker, then, you know, McCarthy is in a situation where he's always got to worry about every single member, not just, you know, on any particular amendment or legislation. You know, at what point does somebody get mad enough to say, all right, that's it, I'm calling for a new vote for speaker. And then you're just kind of in this question of, you know, if if any single person can derail all this, you know, what? Well, how much can you get done? Oh, by the way, if Kevin McCarthy can't get 218 Republicans to vote for him to be speaker, how easy a time is he going to have getting 218 Republicans to vote for anything? You know, a piece of legislation or some key amendment or, or something like that. So... Um, it's kind of frustrating in this stale point. I see the argument against Kevin McCarthy. I remain a little bit baffled that the you know anti-McCarthy crowd could say, no, McCarthy, but we could live with Steve Scalise. I like Steve Scalise. I'd be perfectly fine with Steve Scalise being Speaker of the House. I, in fact, I can see certain advantages Steve Scalise gives you that maybe McCarthy doesn't. 
but they're also it's not like these guys you know, these guys are diametric opposites in fact they you know agree i'm gonna guess at least nine out of every 10 issues voting records about the same they're buddies steve scalise is supporting mccarthy the idea that you'd go through all this and say we're not gonna have kevin mccarthy be the speaker but we're gonna be okay with kevin mccarthy's right-hand man being the speaker really raises the question craig of just what the whole point of this entire fight was the assumption was that there was a unified explanation for this among the 20, and there's clearly not. And kudos to you and Dominic and others at National Review for, for clearing that up because, of course, uh, for most of the cable channels and so forth, they're just rubbing their hands with glee about the fact that Republicans um, are not in alignment right now. And so we will see because uh, for most of what Chip Roy is arguing for, um, absolutely, absolutely, uh, I definitely want that. Some of his uh, rants in an empty chamber on the House floor, uh, you almost want to stand up and applaud because uh, he's one of the few people who actually wants individual representatives to be able to represent their people. But hopefully we can get to that point where uh, we have a, a leadership uh, situation in place and those changes can happen. So we as the American people aren't relying on two or three people behind closed doors to get the big bills done every time. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And for that, we go back to the House of Representatives. Uh, as a result of the failure to have a speaker elected, the rest of the members aren't technically sworn in yet uh, for the new Congress. And one of the incoming freshman is Democrat Robert Garcia of California. He's from the Long Beach area. Uh, he is going to be sworn in, eventually, we assume, in a rather unique way. He's going to have three things that he will have, I assume, his left hand on. One is a photo of his parents, who unfortunately uh, died due to COVID. The other is his citizenship certificate. And the other, an original copy of the Superman Number 1 from the Library of Congress, which is worth a uh, Heck of a lot of money, so hopefully he's taking good care of it as he's toting it around Capitol Hill uh, for the the next three days. But uh, you know, usually you see folks swearing in uh, on the Bible and so forth. Others have done it on the Constitution. As much as you might love Superman, and maybe you're also pledging to uh, uphold truth, justice, and the American way, or whatever it is. But once we're getting down to uh, placing your hand on the comic book. Uh, if you thought the dignity was taken out of the process with this fight over Speaker, this certainly is adding to the problem. Yeah, you know, I, I try to have a very wide-ranging, live-and-let-live attitude towards a lot of things. And particularly when it comes to matter of faith and spirituality and religion, you know, this is very personal to people, and I don't like running around wagging my fingers and saying, no, you can't do that. But something about this rankles with me, the same way that uh, those, you know, pseudo-prayer candles with celebrities on them you sometimes see in tchotchke stores irritate me, whether it's Fauci or... Mueller or any of the other ones we've seen in recent years. I, first of all, I think that I think it looks ridiculous, as you can see. You know, I don't know if you uh, over on on uh, you know, the holiday break or around Thanksgiving, Greg. I saw the Fauci prayer candles that were marked down, which I think was a true indicator that the pandemic is over. <laughs> um, but it's something like this. Look, if you're not religious and no religious text is appropriate for you to do that, okay, I understand. I think the Constitution is a perfectly fine substitute. I, you know, what you're saying when you do this, if you or I'd use the Bible or if somebody Jewish had used the Torah or a Muslim member of, of elected official used the Koran, you're basically saying, I pledge to do this and I pledge to do this so, so honestly, so fervently. I mean what I'm saying so much. May God punish me if I'm lying. Right. Every once in a while you hear that expression, okay, may God strike me down. This is God's honest truth. Stuff like that. People are saying that's how much I believe this. 
I don't merely want to say to you, believe me or trust me. I am invoking God himself, capital H, and saying, this is how important and this is how much I mean this. I'm not, this is not a routine campaign promise. This is not, uh, in a world full of dishonesty, this is what I mean. So I, I, I'm not hugely into genealogy, but I did kind of start studying who the Garrities are and what they come from. And one of the things I found is that over in Ireland, if you go to the National Museum in Dublin, there is this uh, bell. It's called the Bronze Bell of St. Patrick. And allegedly, this is one of the things that Patrick, St. Patrick had when he was uh, chasing demons out of, out of Ireland, chasing the snakes out. You know, a lot of people point out that snakes aren't really native to Ireland to begin with. But anyway, you have this thing. And for a long time, the Garrity clan was the keeper of this bell, and they used it for oath-taking. And the significance of the kind of the equivalent of putting your hand on a Bible these days. And the idea was that if you put your hand on a Bible and swore an oath, you were saying, if I am lying, may demons come along and haul me down to hell. Right? Now, that's a sign you really mean something. That is a sign that, okay, you can take this to the bank. I'm not just exaggerating. I'm not just, you know empty blather promising, I mean what I say. And that's why they traditionally use religious texts. You're basically saying, you know, and kind of you know, inherent to that is this idea of like, look, I'm a person and we know the human beings are flawed. We know the human beings make mistakes. We know the human beings aren't always honest. I'm invoking this higher power, something bigger than me, right? You can fool, you know, other human beings, even though people like to believe they're really good at, at, uh, at catching liars. Greg, have you ever wondered how many people who insist they're good at spotting liars bought a Millie Vanilli album? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, you know, maybe not all these folks voted for George Santos, but in the end, like, you know, we, we all like to think we're really good at spotting liars. And maybe we are, but most of us aren't as good at spotting a liar as we'd like to be. But when you say, I swear on a Bible, right, well, then generally that's a sign. Okay, well, they really, really mean it. And in fact, in our legal system, if you swear on a Bible, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and then you lie, well, that's a crime. That's not really a morally wrong thing. That's a legally wrong thing. You can be put in jail for it. You know, that's why it was people argued about whether this was a big deal for a president to do it way back in 1998. We lost that fight, and boy, everything's just turned out just hunky-dory since then, huh? You know. <laughs> exactly. um, so I look at this, and look, I, I guess you could really, really love Superman and and think that you know he represents this great ideal. Um, I don't feel that way about the character, but I guess okay. You know, I, I just don't know if that really works as much because Superman, you know, if you do lie after swearing to Superman, the, Superman's not going to show up and say, well, you know, you violated the, co the codes of truth, justice, and the American way. I'm taking you to the Fortress of Solitude and keeping you in the Ice Palace, Lex Luthor. Um, I, I just don't think that works. This seems gimmicky. This seems cute. This seems um, kind of like a cry for attention. I, I you know, I just don't I don't think it works as a moral or functional equivalent of the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, or the Constitution, or some other really important secular choice. I'm not saying this person shouldn't have the choice to do this, but I do think it kind of, it just doesn't mean as much. And I just, the, the you know, this, maybe Superman is this significant to this member of Congress. To most of us, he's a fictional character, and it doesn't really work. Uh, the reason, you know, you and I may have different beliefs than a Jewish person or a Muslim person, but we know that Muslim person swearing on the Koran is a big deal. We know to swearing on a Jewish person, swearing on the Torah is a big deal. I get it. I get that, you know, understanding of that. So um, even if it, that those texts don't mean the same thing to us, to them, it's like saying this is the most important thing in my life 
And if I am not honoring this oath, may I be punished by the you know power that I believe in. It doesn't work like that way for Superman. Not a good idea. That's how I'm going to get up on my soapbox. But uh, you know, in the end, I was always more of a Marvel Comics guy anyway. <laughs> well, you know who often invokes God and then lies to us is the current president of the United States who's on television <laughs> right now uh, speaking on immigration. He's actually heading to the border. And uh, Jim, you're never going to guess whose fault it is uh, that the border's a mess. Republicans. Republicans. Yes. <laughs> it's Republicans' fault for not passing his comprehensive immigration uh, agenda, which is a long way of saying amnesty. So anyway, that fight goes on, and so do many others. We'll see what happens in the House today. We'll probably talk about it one way or another tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and join us on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.